central bank will have absolute control. Who masters those technologies in some way will be the master of the world. Complete control. That's what it's always been about. Social reset, economic reset, political reset. Dystopian scenarios are not a fatality. Now, throughout the course of this investigation, we have encountered a secret organization that controls 95% of the world's GDP. And today we pull back the curtain on the elites to find out exactly what their plan is. I'm about to expose the secret organization and tell you exactly how they plan to take control of you and 100% of the world's GDP because, well, I mean, 95% wasn't high enough. And most importantly, I'm gonna take you back to the very book that started this entire dystopian initiative they call The Great Reset. Now, in the first episode, we uncovered how the wheels of globalism began to turn decades ago. And we also found out exactly how the elites profit off of chaos and crisis. In the last episode, I showed you who helped the WEF achieve their aims, who their corporate partners are, and just how powerful and all-encompassing their agenda is. So in the final episode of this investigation, I am pulling back the curtain completely. I'll show you exactly what Klaus Schwab plans on in the Great Reset and what my half-year-long research uncovered as its final conclusion. And once we've gone through every detail of their nefarious plan, I will tell you exactly what you need to do in order to protect yourself, as well as your loved ones. As the saying goes, you have to know the rules in order to break them. So with no further ado, welcome to the third and final episode of The Reset. So let's go back to where this all started. This book right here, C-19, The Great Reset by none other than Klaus Schwab. And I quote, history shows that epidemics have been the great resetter of countries' economic and social fabric. Why should it be different with C-19, Schwab writes? That's the name of the game. Find or create a crisis and exploit the living hell out of it. We saw that all through the 1900s during episode one, and it's no different today. So with that in mind, it's awfully convenient that this book was released in July of 2020. I mean, great timing for a 280 page book to come out just a few months after C-19 started and the whole world locked down. I mean, of course, I'm not suggesting that they began writing this book before the crisis because that would get me canceled. But just so you know, the World Economic Forum did have a marketing push for all the exact same ideas four years prior, branded as the Fourth Industrial Revolution, which is also the title of another one of Schwab's books, which didn't quite create the impact that they were hoping for. So when the next big crisis rolled around, that was their opportunity to push the exact same ideas again, merely repackaged as the Great Reset. And all of this leads to the Puppet Master's ultimate mass control plan. And let's get into what this plan is. And there are three major steps to it. Macro reset, micro reset, and individual reset. And I'm not coming up with any of these, by the way. This comes directly from Schwab himself on his Great Reset book. So let's begin with the macro reset. You see, in the subsection titled Economic Reset, Schwab details how a fragmented world like we used to have simply is not possible after C-19. And there is only one answer, globalization. He writes about a pandemic as a complex adaptive system comprising many different components or pieces of information whose behavior is influenced by such variables as the roles of companies, economic policies, government intervention, healthcare politics, or national governance. So in plain English, a pandemic was the perfect time to unleash the forces of the World Economic Forum. And it gets worse. You see, Schwab has a subsection titled 
the social reset. And to be honest, I was just gonna paraphrase this, but I think you deserve to hear the words of the world leader himself. First and foremost, the post-pandemic era will usher in a period of massive wealth redistribution from the rich to the poor and from capital to labor. Redistribution of wealth, I thought the World Economic Forum were liberal, not socialist. Or do they just want to redistribute the wealth to their cronies? Second, C-19 is likely to sound the death knell of neoliberalism, a corpus of ideas and policies that can loosely be defined as favoring competition over solidarity, creative destruction over government intervention, and economic growth over social welfare. For a number of years, the neoliberal doctrine has been on the wane, with many commentators, business leaders, and policymakers increasingly denouncing its market fetishism, but C-19 brought the coup de grace. So these two forces, massive redistribution on one hand and abandoning neoliberal policies on the other, will exert a defining impact on our society's organization, ranging from how inequalities could spur social unrest to the increasing role of governments and the redefinition of social contracts. One of the greatest lessons of the past five centuries in Europe and America is this. Acute crisis contribute to boosting the power of the state. To be honest, I think that speaks for itself. I mean, Schwab essentially says that C-19 marks the end of the free market. The alternative? Corporatism. Or as Mussolini himself says, another word for fascism. A world where a few of Schwab's buddies own everything. And your only option is to abide by them. No more competition. Now, as I was reading through the book, one section in particular really caught my attention. A section titled The Risk of Dystopia, where Schwab actually goes on to write about the technocratic state. Now, if you don't know what that is, the argument he uses to support this idea sums it up pretty well. In fact, he uses the argument of a very famous author, Yuval Noah Harari, who's the author of Sapiens and Homo Deus. He writes, Consider a hypothetical government that demands that every citizen wears a biometric bracelet that monitors body temperature and heart rate 24 hours a day. The resulting data is hoarded and analyzed by governments and algorithms. The algorithms will let you know that you are sick even before you know it, and they will also know where you have been and who you have met. The chains of infection could be drastically shortened and even cut altogether. Such a system could arguably stop the epidemic in its track within days. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a very good idea to me. Wearing a bracelet monitor and sharing all of your data with the government. Well, that's exactly what Schwab and his buddies are planning. Now, to be fair to Harari, he does also present the dangers of such a world, but something about him gave me a very ominous feeling. And after this entire investigation, I knew I needed to take a second look at him. And it wasn't long after that I found this. By hacking organisms, elites may gain the power to re-engineer the future of life itself. The end of the era of free will. That's what the puppet masters have in store for you, and they don't even try to hide it. I mean, perhaps Harari wasn't such a savory character after all. You see, that's what their plan is. To hack your brain using information and propaganda. These people don't think you're valuable. They see you as a product of their indoctrination. And you are below them. And Schwab concludes that section of the book by reassuring us that dystopian scenarios are not a fatality. So, don't worry, little slave, it's all gonna be okay because freedom isn't that important after all, is it? And here's one thing Schwab is very good at doing. Gaslighting the reader into believing that any rational objections to the reset are merely just irrational fears. He knows that when you first hear about this, you'll get creeped out a little. 
but he's very good at brainwashing people into believing that this is for their own good. Now here's where things start to really get concerning. Schwab ends the book by saying that the reset isn't done yet. So I had to figure out what was the missing part. And my investigation led me to the final stage of their plan, which will complete the reset and lead to a world where you'll have no choice but to be 100% under the puppet master's control. Own nothing and be happy is what they tell you. But of course, someone then has to own everything. The puppet masters. We learned how the puppet masters gain control of the Fed and use the money printing machine to enrich themselves and impoverish other people. Now, I thought that's where their quest for monetary control ended. But I was wrong. You see, I uncovered how the puppet masters plan to control all the money, including the 130 trillion they've pledged to their cronies. CBDCs. Few inventions have symbolized and facilitated radical autonomy as much as money. Before money, if you had a system of bartering, meaning if you didn't have exactly what the other person wanted, well then, you were no good. The invention of a standard system of value allowed businesses to flourish and lifted millions of people out of poverty. You see, instead of needing an exact match of barter, you now just needed one customer. Really, money is the essence of liberty itself. Dostoevsky even called it coined liberty. You see, all through time, money has supported people's liberty until now. You see, in the last few years, we've seen two structural changes. Number one, there's been a massive move away from cash. And number two, there's been ever-increasing centralization. But why are the puppet masters so against cash? Because cash is freedom. With cash, you have complete autonomy and they have no control. You see, the move to a cashless society has been going on for a few decades now. And actually, as I was researching CBDCs, some really dire news broke. Nigeria, just a few weeks ago, restricted all cash withdrawals. And that is how the puppet masters will enforce the switch to CBDCs. And Nigerians had tried to push back. Only 0.5% had adopted their CBDCs, despite over 50% using crypto. And what happened? The puppet masters forced them to switch by no longer recognizing cash. I mean, that should tell you just how forceful the puppet masters are willing to be. The end of cash will be the end of your freedom, but these changes began already in 2020. By now, over 86% of central banks are planning on implementing CBDCs, central bank digital currencies. But wait a minute, if the central banks want to implement their own crypto, surely that's a good thing, right? I mean, we know how transparent and at times secure cryptocurrencies can be. I mean, after all, cryptocurrencies are meant to be decentralized, just like American currency used to be before the Federal Reserve. And cryptocurrencies are also secured by cryptography on a distributed ledger, which is a blockchain that is publicly available. And some cryptocurrencies, like Bitcoin, are inherently deflationary with a set amount of them to ever exist. I mean, especially with how inflation is, that all sounds like the perfect move for central banks, right? Not quite. You see, the central banks don't want a cryptocurrency, they want a digital currency. So what's the difference? I mean, it may not sound all too different, but these two concepts are worlds apart. Whereas a cryptocurrency is decentralized, a digital currency is centralized in nature. That means that the central banks will issue the currency, no mining like there is with Bitcoin. Now we already know that the central banks can issue currency whenever they choose, and digital currency will be no different. Whereas cryptocurrencies offer at least partial anonymity on the blockchain, CBDCs will act as an extension of the government. You see, CBDCs will simply be the digital expression of your fiat money. 
But how will that work and why is that such a big deal in that case? Well, there's one aspect of CBDCs that I haven't mentioned yet, and it makes all the difference. CBDCs will be programmable. And let's get back to that in just a moment. But with the introduction of a CBDC, the government will keep track of all transactions with that currency. There will be no transparency and there will be no anonymity. Instead, all the power will be given to the government. So what does that mean in practice? Well, it means that every time you spend one digital dollar, the government will know exactly what you spent it on. Now, that may not sound like a big deal, but it is. You see, the way you spend your money is a reflection of you as a person. In some way, it's even the ultimate reflection of who you are. That's why the old adage of put your money where your mouth is, is so powerful. You see, based on your spending, the government will be able to form a complete profile on you. Now, if that's not dystopian enough to ward you off, let me tell you about the other piece of the puzzle. Here's where things get really dystopian. Remember how I mentioned CBDCs would be programmable? Well, what does that mean in practice? Let me paint a picture for you to really illustrate. It's 2030, the year the World Economic Forum's predictions all come true. You own nothing and you're happy. They own everything, but you're oblivious to that. AI has replaced you and you rely on universal basic income to support you and your family. You're entirely reliant on the government, just like how they want you to be. But one day you do something the government doesn't like. Maybe you jaywalk or maybe you tell a friend you dislike something about them. And now your social credit score, well, it goes down. And now you can't get approved for your next rental agreement. And your electric car will only function for a few hours during the day. And because you've been a bad little slave, your money can only be spent on necessities. No nice things for bad slaves. And the puppet masters are only able to have that level of control because they know everything about you. They can only control where and how you spend the money they give you because it's programmable. Not only that, they will force you to spend it, otherwise inflation will just eat it away. You see, your CBDC account will have a negative interest rate, forcing you to spend artificially, inflating the economy. Now that may seem like a distant dystopian future, but honestly, it's not. There will come a day in the next two years where your money is really no longer your own. You will have no control over it, and you won't be able to save so you will forever live under their thumb. But don't take it from me because during the course of my investigation, I found documents proving that the central bankers are planning on implementing negative interest rates to stimulate forced spending. That means your money will not be yours and if you don't spend it the way they want you to, well then it'll just disappear. Why? Because the puppet masters don't want you to save. If you save, you gain leverage over them and you're harder to influence. That's why the puppet masters use inflation and the debt cycle. I mean, it is no coincidence that credit card debt just hit an all-time high of almost $1 trillion right as CBDC discussions intensify. Bahamas. Now, the biggest thing you might be wondering is whether this has already been implemented. And it has. You see, the island nation of Bahamas was the first to introduce CBDCs, but luckily their experience offers us some hope but also shows us how blatant the puppet masters are with their motives. The IMF and its counterpart, the WEF, posted a video on the Bahamas and the world's first digital currency. Now, when do you think they chose to introduce CBDCs? If you live on an island that has just been hit by a major hurricane, then you may not have access to an ATM or bank branch. And the cent dollar can help you because it can be operated via mobile phones. In the wake of a crisis, their tactics never seem to change. Now, you might think perhaps the people of Bahamas, well, they don't actually have access to banking. 
maybe the government is actually trying to help, you know, in a time of crisis. After all, that's, that's what the government's for, right? When COVID happened, I, I wanted to move away from handing and touching money from others for the safety of myself and my family. I mean, it's handy how they managed to bring C-19 into it. I mean, if only there was another way to pay other than cash, I don't know, maybe like a, you know, a plastic card that you could keep money on. But let's keep watching. It helps those unbanked members of our population who don't have access to commercial banking facilities. I mean, maybe the people of Bahamas really didn't have access to banking and that's why cash was the only alternative. Now to find the answers to that question, I had to do a little bit of digging. I dove into the Bahamian financial system, learning its ins and outs, and I came across a report from their central bank from June of 2021 titled the Bahamas Consumer Payment Survey. And the aim of this paper was to gain knowledge of access to, as well as use of various financial products. This report was exactly what I needed because keep in mind the big push for the sand dollar, which is the Bahamian CBDC, was based on financial inclusion and helping those who don't have access to banking after the hurricane. They write how a key measure of the financial inclusion is the level of ownership of accounts at banks or credit unions. In all of their propaganda, the puppet masters have gone on and on about how financial inclusion was such an issue and that CBDCs were the only solution. So you can imagine my surprise when I learned the truth. Even in an island nation like the Bahamas, 94.3% of people had access to deposit services at either a bank or a credit union, meaning that only 5.6% of people lacked some level of financial inclusion, with over 70% using their online banking regularly. And luckily, the Bahamian CBDC has been a massive failure, only accounting for 0.01% of currency in circulation. Now this led me to believe that maybe there is hope, but it also spurred a new question. If the Bahamas had been such a colossal failure, why were the puppet masters still pushing for it? And more importantly, who was at the forefront of the effort? BIS. Remember earlier I mentioned that I found proof that the puppet master's plan was to implement negative interest rates in order to force you to spend, or rather, they want to take away your property rights to your money. Well, I found that buried in a 92-page report published by none other than the Bank of England. But before we get to that, we need to better understand how CBDCs work. Now, we already know what they're not. They're not a cryptocurrency. In fact, they're the very opposite of it. There's two types of CBDC designs, account-based CBDCs and token-based CBDCs. The former means that as an individual, you hold an account directly with the central bank, something that would normally be impossible because the central banks is the bank's bank. Now, as for the latter, the central bank would issue a tokenized CBDC that would be distributed through the existing banking systems. Now, economists throughout the world have written thousands of pages lauding how great CBDCs would be for the economy, but would they really? So I set out on a mission, as I do, to get to the bottom of this, I mean, to really find out if CBDCs were just a natural economic evolution of currency or if there was something deeper going on. I plowed through literally hundreds of pages of reports from various central banks and NGOs. And as I was scouring the internet trying to find the truth, I was greeted by an organization I had encountered before. And that's when I was finally able to put the pieces together. This entire time, we've been focused on the policymakers and the executors the World Economic Forum and BlackRock, but that's because I had made a mistake in my investigation. I thought back to the Kissinger quote, I knew how they were controlling the food and how they were using the energy, and I assumed the money aspect was uncovered as well. But after my discoveries with CBDCs, I was proven wrong. The plot for controlling your money was way worse than I had ever anticipated. And the powers that be, 
were even more powerful. You see, the World Economic Forum makes the policy, and with their governmental and corporate partners, they enact it. But where does all that money come from? I mean, enacting all of their targets is expensive, so how do they do it? I mean, we know how the Fed facilitates BlackRock, but what about the rest of the world? You see, I thought CBDCs would be a phenomenon of each central bank, which is already bad, but the truth is far worse. You see, it wasn't just that each central bank was pushing CBDCs. They had been organized to the highest level. As if this couldn't get any crazier. Introducing the Bank of International Settlements, which is the central bank of central banks, controlling 95% of global GDP. Every economically significant central bank in the world is a member. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where money comes from. Which is why it made perfect sense when I learned that they were the biggest organization pushing for CBDCs in combination with the IMF and their member central banks. So I continued reading all these working papers and I became convinced that there was something larger going on with CBDCs. That this wasn't just some natural evolution of currency. You see, it was about nothing other than control. And it was a coordinated attack, not a bunch of isolated central banks. Don't believe me? Well, don't take my word for it. In a BIS report titled Ready, Steady, Go, they write, international policy coordination on CBDCs is set to intensify over the coming years. And that coordination is what allows puppet masters to gain such outrageous levels of control. In the next report from the BIS titled The Future Monetary System, they write to discredit crypto. Structural flaws make the crypto universe unsuitable as the basis for a monetary system. It lacks a stable nominal anchor, while limits to its scalability result in fragmentation. A system grounded in central bank money offers a sounder basis for innovation, ensuring that services are stable and interoperable domestically and across borders. Such a system can sustain a virtuous cycle of trust and adaptability through network effects. Funny because our current payment systems were all developed by the private sector. New capabilities such as programmability, composability, and tokenizations are not the preserve of crypto, but can be built on top of central bank digital currencies, fast payment system, and associated data architectures. So they themselves are saying that CBDCs will be programmable. But that's not the end of it. So let's bring it back to the report from the Bank of England, a member of the BIS. As I kept reading their 92-page report, I came to a section on the fiscal dimensions of CBDCs. Now, if you don't know, fiscal policy is how government expenditure influences the economy with things like stimulus checks. And in this section, the puppet masters were discussing how CBDCs would facilitate fiscal policy by making helicopter money more accessible. So to put it into plain English, the puppet masters basically want to use CBDCs to give you money during times of economic downturn to stimulate economy and jumpstart spending. I mean, how great. The puppet masters want to help you build your moat and build your savings. I mean, that's amazing. It almost sounded too good to be true. You see, during COVID, the stimulus checks were an unprecedented move, and most people didn't think it would happen again. Yet, here the central banks are planning on using CBDCs to give out more money. Perfect, right? Not so fast. This isn't a selfless move by the puppet masters to help you. Not at all. You see, when they pumped the economy during C-19 by stimulating spending, by giving out handouts, they ran into many problems. Of course, they got f***ed by inflation because it turns out that, you know, printing all that free money has its downsides. But more than that, the pumping of the markets made a lot of people rich and the puppet masters, well, they didn't really like that. So why would they do it again with CBDCs? Because they want to make you even more dependent on them. And that is how they can control you. Next time around, your stimulus checks, they won't just be a freebie. 
It'll come with a bevy of terms and conditions as to how and when you can spend it. Remember how we said CBDCs are programmable? Well, now you know why. Now this fiscal dimension of CBDCs is problematic on another level too, because it actually gives the government even more control over the central bank. But that's not all, because as I kept reading, I came across an even more sinister plan. Amidst the praise of how CBDCs have no transaction costs and how much they're gonna help the economy, there's a section on interest rates. And it started off quite neatly, describing how CBDCs could carry interest rates, much like bonds, as fiat currency is simply an IOU between you and the central banks. I mean, that sounds fair enough. But then I kept reading and a real issue emerged. There it was. The central bank can control an additional policy instrument in addition to the traditional policy interest rate, and that this policy instrument can be used in a counter-cyclical fashion that supports the policy rate. Now, at first, that didn't really make much sense to me until I found another paper analyzing the Bank of England's paper, which said it as it was. Consequently, adjustments to the CBDC's interest rate would not be constrained by any effective lower bound. The interest-bearing design of CBDC in the obsolescence of paper currency would also contribute to greater macroeconomic stability because interest rate adjustments would no longer be constrained by any effective lower bound in response to severe adverse shocks. The CBDCs that you have in your account will carry interest. Now that's great when the interest rate is positive, but at the push of a button, the government will be able to turn those interest rates negative. That means that your money will literally deteriorate in value if you don't spend it. And that is how the puppet masters will keep you in the debt cycle forever by making it impossible for you to save and by forcing you to be reliant on them. And what makes this so nefarious is that your money won't even be your money. Your property rights will be second to their monetary agenda. And as I continued reading into this, I stumbled upon a report from the Cato Institute, which really just paints the picture perfectly. At its core, this brave new world of monetary policy equates to the government saying that your money isn't really your money. Your property rights are subservient to the public good and the supposed necessity of managing the national economy. And that's exactly right. I mean, the BIS even say themselves that the future monetary system is a tree whose solid trunks is the central banks. However, the central bankers are wrong. As put by the Cato Institute, money itself is not a public good. The fact that its production has been increasingly encroached upon by the government does not make it a public good. And the fact that something called a CBDC even exists is owed only to payment innovations that occurred in the private market. The real danger in CBDCs is that there is no limit to the level of control that the government could exert over people if money is purely electronic and provided directly by the government. A CBDC would give federal officials full control over the money going into and coming out of every person's account. I mean, that should alarm you like nothing else. The government wants to treat you like you're stupid, telling you what you can and can't do with your money. And to make matters worse, this is already happening. I mean, just think back to what happened with the truckers in Canada. Things like that will become a daily occurrence once CBDCs are implemented. CBDCs are the final tool the puppet masters need to resume ultimate control over every part of your life. And that's why the most powerful organizations in the world are shoving it down your throat like there's no tomorrow because once they succeed, you won't have any tomorrow worth living for. And if that scares you, good, because it should, because we are living through an unprecedented time. Everything the puppet masters have been plotting in the shadows for the last century has led them to this moment. The clock is about to strike midnight and time is running out, but it's not over yet.
So, let me tell you a story that begins in 1973 in Santiago, Chile. You see, the 70s were marked by the rivalry between two ideologies, communism and capitalism. So, when a socialist government was democratically elected in 1973, well, our old friend Henry Kissinger wanted to give Chile a little dose of freedom. And that's when he said, I don't see why we need to stand by and watch a country go communist due to the irresponsibility of its people. You see, the issues are much too important for the Chilean voters to be left to decide for themselves. Now, what ensued was probably the worst 17-year period of repression and horror Chile has ever experienced, all supported by Henry Kissinger and the US. Thousands died at the hand of Pinochet and tens of thousands were tortured. Yet, the US kept supporting Pinochet with Kissinger as the Secretary of State until 1977. Now, why you may ask? Because Kissinger, like most politicians, is a slave to his ideology. So what though? How does this relate to what's happening today? Well, the fight today is the exact same, but here's where things take an unexpected turn. Do you know what finally ended Pinochet's regime? Well, one of the ways Pinochet's regime had kept such tight control throughout the years was by controlling the information. It's a classic tactic that's been used by every dictator since the dawn of time. And it's also the very same tactic being used by the media today. They feed you one side of the story, the side that they want you to hear. That's because the media is owned by a handful of people who have specific agendas. Wearily similar, I know. So what actually brought down Pinochet's dictatorship? Freedom of information and education. The regime had maintained tight control over the media, censoring and suppressing critical voices and dismissing opinions. However, the emergence of alternative source of information and the dissemination of information from outside the country helped to expose the true nature of the regime and its abuses. Once again, does that sound familiar to you? You see, opposition groups and human rights organizations within Chile work to document as well as publicize the regime's abuses and their tyranny, often at great personal risk. And all of these efforts help to keep the issues of the regime's tyranny in the public eye, as well as build support for the opposition, which would symbolize freedom and hope. Now, finally, opposition grew so strong and the desire for freedom so great that a democratic election and the restoration of press freedom allowed for the fall of Pinochet's regime. And the exposition of the truth amidst all of the state-propagated lies was able to finally topple the House of Cards. And that's really what it was. Even as a military dictatorship built on lies, deficit, and tyranny, those foundations can never last. So once the truth was exposed, it all came crumbling down like a house of cards. And that's because freedom and truth are the only building blocks that can stand the test of time. In the end, the truth will always prevail, even in the face of the mighty Henry Kissinger and the entire US government. Like Kissinger said, they might control the food, the energy, and even the money, but there is one thing that they can never control. The truth that you carry in your heart no amount of lies and propaganda can ever cover that up. They will try, and with some they'll even succeed, but all it takes is a few freedom fighters to have the guts to spread the word and fight their indoctrination with education. And they will try to win the war on information, but they never will, because the truth always wins. You can't hide from your conscience, 
That's the story of every civilization and every battle. And as Washington said, truth always prevails where there is pain to bring it to light. Because in all the chaos and all the disorder, there is always a secret order if you dare to look for it. And you know what? I'm going to be extremely open and transparent with you. Truth is, I've been scared. I've been scared to truly risk it all. All the advice I've given you is all within the system. So sure, you can run away, but you can't run forever. You see, if we truly want to keep away this new world order, a few bank accounts and a few passports, it's not going to solve the problem. That, my friend, is the bad news. But the good news is that the ultimate solution is free. And of course, you still need the three freedoms in order to protect yourself and your family. But ultimately, none of that will matter if we keep ceding our liberty and our power as the people. I mean, Benjamin Franklin really said it best. He who trades liberty for security deserves neither liberty nor security. And the real solution to the globalist encroachment has been staring us in the face this entire time. The puppet masters capitalize on fear and secrecy. They try to hack our minds with their propaganda and their information warfare. But the reason they need to do that in the first place is because they could never disclose the truth. The answer to the Great Reset lies in education. The most important thing you can do for yourself and for your freedom is to be aware and educated on what's really going on. Because at the end of the day, they can take everything away from you. They can take away your money, they can take away your passports, they could take away your business, and even your freedom. But they can never, ever take away your mind. It is only in truth that we are united. And that's why it isn't time for indoctrination. This is a fight for education. If every person on earth knew what was really going on, their plan would stop dead in its tracks. And at first I thought the best thing you could do was build a moat around yourself to ward off the masters of the universe for as long as possible. But that's simply not enough. You see, freedom of information and education brought down the mighty Pinochet as it did with every other authoritarian scumbag. So tell your family and tell your friends because slowly but surely, the truth will prevail. And just remember this, education is a better safeguard of liberty than a standing army. So my friend, don't be discouraged, be enlightened. And with that, my mission is completed at whatever cost. These videos may get taken down, I may get a channel strike, and this will probably hurt my business. And you know what? Maybe even my relationships. But the truth is, I don't care. I, just like you, was put on this earth with a mission. And my mission gives me purpose. It gives me light in the darkness of mere being. So, let us go down in history. Not as the Great Reset, but as the Great Escape. Escape from their iron grip by the way of education and the truth. And with that being said, thank you for watching. And I'll see you on the right side of history. The side of honor and truth, because no matter what, God protects those who act in truth and honor and punishes those who break the codes of honor. And with that, my friend, welcome to the great escape.